재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Korea's number one foreign language station 101.3 TBS EFM To catch previous episodes of The Bookend, please search TBS EFM The Bookend via podcast. Or go to tbsefm.seoul.kr and search for our program. Some years ago, I started calling myself Ginger. Peter. Sherlock. Rosemary. Emmanuel. The Archbishop of Canterbury. You may know me better as... The Real Slim Shady. Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been corrected. First chapter. And it's time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today, I'll read the first few pages of Kwon Sun Chan and Nice People, or Kwon Sun Chan Gwa Chakhan Saramdul, by Yi Ki Ho, who was born in Wonju, Gangwon-do, in 1972, debuted in 1999, and wrote the novel At Least We Can Apologize, or Chagwanen Chareyo, among other things. The very last sentence of the story I'll read today goes, And I began to write this story, a story about why we vent our anger at innocent people. This sums up the story quite nicely, but also speaks to the questions that Igiho pursues in his writing. Where does the aggression come from, and is it heading in the right direction? In the scene I'll read for you today, we meet Professor Lee, a writer who's teaching at a university in a small Korean city called G-City. He's having some anger issues. He's trying to keep it bottled up and not doing such a great job of it. I'll be back after Count on Me, sung by Jay Park. Beautiful girls all over the world I could be chasing but my time would be wasted they got nothing on you baby nothing on you baby they might say hi, hi. and i might say hey hello but you shouldn't worry about what they say cuz they got nothing on you kwonsun chan and nice people by e kiho It was last summer, around midnight on a Thursday at the beginning of July, when the dry rainy season had been dragging on for over two weeks. That was when I first encountered that strange man. All this rainy season should go to hell. That night, as usual, I was sitting in a small pub near the entrance of the apartment complex where I lived, muttering to myself for no particular reason or combing my hand through my hair out of habit. I was taking sips of draft beer mixed with soju. A dimly lit lamppost, which shone dimly like a light in a sauna, stood outside the pub, and only an empty phone booth and a small hill across the road decorated the streets. 
I didn't spot anyone roaming the streets, and it was just the forty-something pub owner and me in that tiny pub with four tables. Every time the fan on the wall whirred its blades and turned toward me, my head fell lower and lower, and my face turned ruddier and ruddier. Around that time, I was steeped in some kind of lethargy, feeling helpless, and I had not been able to write a short story or an essay for over a year. It was a new experience for me. Oddly enough, I kept on clenching my fists as if I were angry. I would slam my fists on the corner of my desk or arm of a chair when I was alone. And when I did this, I really did become angry. I didn't know why I was angry. So to hide my anger from other people, I repeated taking a deep breath and holding it for a while. On days I spent the whole time doing that, I came home with my whole body feeling hot, and a pain in my elbows and calves. When I opened a new file in that condition and tried to write something, I saw optical illusions of the blinking cursor dripping down from the monitor and onto the floor. Then I would sit in the chair like a puppet, with its joints all bent out of shape, and fall asleep. Only once I got caught losing my temper with someone. For eight years, I'd been teaching at a university in G City. In my seventh year, I was promoted to an assistant professor, along with some of my colleagues. Besides teaching classes, I was also involved in different committees, task force teams, and councils at the time. Since most professors my age were managing the same load, more or less, I didn't have much to complain about. Wondering, what the hell am I doing? I created tables in Excel and recorded the increased expenditures for books over the past three years, or calculated the ratio of classes taught by full-time faculty members. When I sat and entered the numbers in Excel files for a long time, I was able to forget thoughts like "What the hell am I doing?" I was able to focus solely on numbers. Since there were a lot of meetings I had to attend, there were as many get-togethers to attend after the meetings. The day I lost temper was one of those days. Although the school was closed for vacation, there were strings of meetings and reviewings of documents to apply for some project sponsored by the Ministry of Education. After a long meeting, which only came to an end at 10 p.m. with takeout food for dinner, I was about to head out when the Vice Director of Academic Affairs took hold of my arm. Professor Lee, let's grab a drink. You don't have anyone waiting at home, right? Obediently, I nodded at him. Besides me, two other young professors accompanied the vice director of academic affairs. The problem arose in front of the fish cake skewer restaurant near the school. "Let's go here," said the vice director, tugging at my right arm once again. Why did I do that at that moment? I halted right then and looked down at my elbow that the vice director had grabbed. "Stop." Pulling me like that, my voice was low and edgy. The vice director and the other two professors looked at me, befuddled. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't stop myself. Stop pulling people around like this. Why can't you just say something? 
Why do you have to pull my arm? I jerked my arm loose from his grasp and got into a cab that was standing by the curb. Through the rearview mirror, I could see the vice director and the other professor standing frozen in place, but I didn't stop the cab. I only clenched my fists and kept on slamming them down on the seat. I came home and sat in my chair like a drooping doll before finally sending a text message to the vice director, apologizing, explaining that I must have snapped because I wasn't feeling well, and once again saying that I'm sorry. The vice director sent me a reply right away. Professor Lee, I had forgotten that you're a writer. I understand. Sometimes it happens, so don't worry. My apartment in G City was part of an over 25 year old apartment complex by a local road about 20 minutes from school. It was a complex of corridor style apartment buildings with the same 460 square foot apartments, each with a small room, a bigger room, and no living room. It was located on the outskirts of the city. Buses came and went once an hour, and there weren't many educational or commercial facilities around, so the rent was vastly cheaper than other places. But people also said that more than 30 out of the 150 apartments in the complex were empty. In fact, there were no other buildings around the apartment complex except for a one story commercial building. There was a hill across from the building, and beyond the hill were a greenhouse complex and an industrial complex. An overwhelming number of residents in the apartment complex were senior citizens, and old trucks, taxis, and motorcycles were usually parked in the parking lot. I lived in the apartment by myself. My wife and children were in Seoul. Since that living arrangement had begun when I first moved to G City, it had already been eight years. Once every two or three weeks, I went to Seoul to see my wife and children, ate out at a buffet or a franchise restaurant. Then returned to the old decrepit apartment in G City on Sunday afternoons with a bag full of side dishes, underwear, or vitamins my wife had packed for me. Even after I was swallowed up in an unknown lethargy, I never skipped the visit. On the way from G City to Seoul, I repeatedly told myself not to vent my anger on my innocent family. And on the way back to G City, I vented my anger inwardly at my innocent family. I vent it quietly, banging my fist on the arm of my seat on the express bus. Why do I keep getting angry at innocent people? Why do I keep wanting to get angry at innocent people? I often thought, sitting at my desk in the small apartment in G City. Afterwards, I would go to a small pub in the commercial building right next to the main entrance of the apartment complex to grab a drink. 
Such days came more and more frequently. Whenever I walked into the pub, the lady owner of the pub just gave me a 16-ounce mug of draft beer, a bottle of soju, and an empty 33-ounce beer mug. I didn't have to order anything. In the empty beer mug, I mixed beer and soju. When I downed the whole thing, I felt adequately tipsy, and I was able to go to bed without getting angry at anyone and without opening a Word file. The day I met that strange man had been one of those days. When I got back from the restroom, staggering a bit, there was a man I'd never seen before, sitting at the table next to the window of the pub. Probably because I'd been living in the same apartment for eight years, I knew most of the people who lived in the complex. I didn't know everyone's name or occupation, but I knew all of their faces. At this pub, I had had a drink with the apartment residence representative, a man in his mid-sixties who had worked at the district office, and I'd exchanged nods with the apartment maintenance director and the president of the company that supplied security personnel to the apartment complex. I'd smoked a cigarette with the owner of the Very Good Mart, located to the right of the pub, while sitting under a beach umbrella table. And I'd cut my hair next to the man from apartment 402 who worked at the Strawberry Greenhouse Complex at Ran Hairsense, on the left side of the pub. They were all nice to me, never asked me to do anything difficult, and called me Professor. I was sure the man was not a resident of our apartment complex. Who is he? I quietly mouthed to the owner of the pub as I sat down, but she only shrugged. As I took sips of beer, I stole glances at the back of the man and the reflection of his face in the window. His hair was disheveled, which made it hard to tell whether he had had a perm or his hair was naturally wavy, and he had protruding cheekbones. On top of that, he had on a black suit that wasn't suitable for the season. I thought his head seemed too big, but upon close examination, I realized it was because his shoulders were extremely narrow and bent. Possibly because of the lights in the pub, the man, who was sitting with his back to me and drinking a draft beer, seemed a bit blurry. I feel bad about saying this, but the image that came to mind when I looked at him that day was a ball of dust. A puffed up ball of dust mixed with hair lodged in a corner of a room that had not been cleaned in a while. A ball of dust from which you could even extract a thread. It was a strange experience for me. Why didn't he look like a person to me, but rather a panel covering a window or snowflakes meekly fluttering in the air? What about him made me think of such images? Regardless, I lowered my head and drank up all the alcohol. Shortly afterwards, I paid the bill and began to walk out of the pub. For a second, I was worried about the lady owner of the pub, but the man hadn't looked particularly dangerous. As I signed the receipt, I stole another glance at the man. The look on his face seemed to express fear. It didn't necessarily express fear of something or someone, but rather a state of mind that seemed to have hardened as an expression. 
Maybe that was why I forgot about him within seconds of walking out of the pub and hadn't noticed the huge backpack at his feet. And I never expected that I would later lose my temper at him, seizing him by the collar and shaking him, grabbing fluttering snowflakes in my hands and losing temper. Who would have expected such a thing to happen? That was my first encounter with Mr. Kwon Sun-chan. The songs we played in between were As Time Goes By from T, followed by Tim's Morning Star. Today I read from Igiho's Kwon Sun Chan and Nice People, translated by Stella Kim. It was published as part of the Asia Publishers K-Fiction Bilingual Editions. As the story goes on, Professor Lee finds out that Kwon Sun Chan has come to settle a debt with a man whose address is registered to a unit in Professor Lee's building. Kwon Sun Chan camps out near the gate of the apartment complex, holding up a sign that says, so-and-so owes him 7 million won. The discomfort and pity surrounding Kwon Sun Chan's protest brings out passive aggression from the colorful neighbors, including Professor Lee. If you're curious as to how the story ends, check out Igiho's Kwon Sun Chan and Nice People. It is time for my closing quote of the week. We discussed Kathy Park Hong on today's roundtable. So for our closing quote today, I'd like to read a few lines from the beginning of her poem, Morning Sun. Raised on a cozy diet of conditional love, I learned to emoji from TV. Now I'm hounded by gripes before my time. Twisted in my genome is this thorn, and all I see are feuds. Even swans got boxing gloves for heads. Once again, that was from Morning Sun by Kathy Park Hong. We have come to the end of our show. Please go to our website if you'd like to learn more about next week's topic. I'm Jamie Chang. Have a wonderful week and tune in next Sunday at 10 a.m. for another brand new installation of The Bookend. Music